Again, I say, all right, it is a beautiful day outside, a beautiful day to be worshiping the Lord, a beautiful day to hear reports of God's miraculous work, a beautiful day for the ladies to be coming back into town from up north. Well, I have a question for you. Uh, Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and as they told you the story, when they were done telling you the story, you wondered, what in the world was the point of that story? Any husbands in the crowd? I can only make that joke because my wife's at the ladies' retreat, so have a little more freedom today. <laughs> but we've all been in a conversation with someone, and they're telling the story, we find ourselves wondering, okay, what was the point that they were trying to communicate? Why were they telling me that story? What did they actually want me to know? Now, sometimes a story has an obvious point, and we're going to be looking at parables, and we even have modern-day parables. If you, if you think about things like um, the, the boy who cried wolf, uh, we had a time where my two sons from Afghanistan, uh, they had, were saying things that weren't necessarily true. And I told them, hey, there's this story about this boy, and uh, he was in the fields watching his sheep, and and he ran into town and said, a wolf is coming, a wolf is coming. And everybody responded really quick and there was no wolf. And so then the next day he ran into town and said, a wolf is coming, a wolf is coming. And they responded and there was no wolf. The third day he runs into town and says, a wolf is coming, a wolf is coming. And no one responds. And they find out the wolf actually came and ate all the sheep. But nobody believed him. I told them that parable and they said, we have one just like in Afghanistan. I said, see, they already knew it. So we do have modern day parables, things that that tell truth. But the question is, when you look at the parables that Jesus told, are they the same as modern day parables? In fact, did Jesus have a different point to his parables than the ones that we read today? So I want to go through a little exercise with you. I want you to imagine that you live in first century Israel and this friend tells you about a preacher. Now, you start to hear murmurs and things about this preacher. You hear he was traveling. He spoke very powerfully. You you hear that he healed the sick, that he cast out demons. And, And so you gather your family and you all go. You walk by foot a few miles trying to find him. You finally find where he is and he's on the shore. And there's so many people there that... He can't even teach on the shore. So he gets on a boat and goes out and everybody congregates around the shore to hear him speak. And everybody gets quiet as he opens his mouth. And you listen intently for what he's going to say. He says this, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along the thorns, and when it grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You're standing there on the shore, and you go, that's it? That's the profound teaching. And so you turn to your neighbor and you say, what did he mean? What was, 
What was he trying to say? I mean, did we travel for hours to hear a story that says, hey, if you plant seed in good ground, it grows. And if you throw it on ground that isn't good, it doesn't grow. Did we really travel all this way just to hear that? And if you believe that story is a little confusing, you wouldn't be the only one. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables like this? They had heard Jesus speak clearly in the past, and now he's speaking in these parables, and they're wondering why. See, in Matthew 13, Jesus is going to teach about the kingdom of God using parables. But before we look at those parables, it's important to know why. But I'm going to let us sit on that question for a little bit because his answer might actually surprise you. So let's pray and then let's look at that answer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good and gracious, you're kind and merciful, and we're so thankful that we get to come every week and open your word. That you've revealed to us your will. And as we open your word, we ask that you'd challenge us, that you'd confront our sin, that you'd confront our hard-heartedness, that you'd encourage us with the depth of your word that can change our lives. We pray that you'd help us to see the true meaning in this text. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we answer the why, we need to answer the what. What is a parable? Well, Webster defines a parable as a usually fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle. Is that what biblical parable are? Biblical parables are? Just a story that shows a moral attitude or religious principle? I think they go deeper. The word parable just means to come alongside. It's something that's alongside. It comes alongside a truth to illustrate that truth. Uh, sometimes preachers call them earthly stories with heavenly meanings. That's an easy way to think of it. Jesus used the familiar to explain the unfamiliar. He used everyday things that people would know, things like seeds, things like a farmland, things like a treasure or pearl that you could find. He used everyday items to explain kingdom truths. But parables were were common. This wasn't something that was uncommon for the Israelites to experience. The Old Testament is full of parables. If you remember, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed, He just kept on living his life as if nothing was wrong. And then the prophet Nathan came and told him a story about this this young couple that all they had, this family, all this family had was this precious sheep. And they took care of the sheep and they brought the sheep in their home and the kids loved the sheep. And then this very rich man who had all these sheep and all these livestock went and stole that sheep and killed it and had it for dinner. And David is so mad, he said, We need to kill that guy. And Nathan said, You you are the man. And that parable hit David at the heart and he recognized his sin and what he had done. See, parables can have a deep impact. Isaiah 5 uses a parable to compare Israel to the vineyard of the Lord. Isaiah 28 compares the Lord's actions towards Judah as a farmer working in the soil. Proverbs is full of simple parables. And then we get to the time before Jesus It became one of the most common used methods of teaching in the rabbinical time. We have the history of all these parables during those 400 years. The Gospels are full of parables. Nearly one-third of Jesus' messages were all in parables. That's quite a lot. 
Many parables answer questions that the crowds had. Sometimes something happens. For instance, Jesus is sitting and having dinner with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And the religious people see this happening and they're like, why would you do this? And Jesus responds with a parable. Often he responds to show people who he is. Sometimes covertly and often overtly, Jesus is showing that he is the Messiah, that he is God. But up until this point in Matthew 13, 1 through 12, we see Jesus primarily teaching to his disciples, and the crowds are kind of listening in. But now he's going to shift his preaching to the crowds, but as he does that, he's going to shift how he teaches, and he's going to begin to teach in parables. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees had rejected Jesus. They claimed he had power from Satan, and they responded that that he was not the Messiah. And Jesus responded to them saying they were a brood of vipers. So because of their unbelief, he begins to speak in parables. So let's get into the first one. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? Why would you speak this way? Why wouldn't you just speak clearly and plainly? Why would you do this? And Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Mark puts it this way. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, his statement might be a little confusing, because you're looking at this, And you're saying, okay, whoever has more will be given more. And whoever has less, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Doesn't that contradict a whole bunch of teachings of Jesus? I mean, wasn't Jesus the one that said the first shall be last? Wasn't he the one that said, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God? Wasn't he the one that said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied? Wasn't he the one that said, blessed are those who weep, for you will laugh? Wasn't he the one that ministered to the poor, ministered to the broken, ministered to the outcasts? And now what he's saying is, I'm going to give more to those that have more and take away anything that someone has who has less. And you're going, that doesn't seem to make sense. And so whenever, this is an important Bible study principle, when you're reading the Bible, if you see something that seems to contradict other places in the Bible, it should cause you to go, okay, I need to to look deeper here. What, What is really going on? What is Jesus truly saying? And so to clarify what he meant, he, he quoted scripture. He says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now this phrase is actually from a number of places in the Old Testament. We're not going to go to all of them, but I want to go to two of them today. First, we're going to go to Jeremiah 5, when God was announcing his judgment on the nation of Israel because of their sin. Let's read in verse 19. And when the people ask, why has the Lord our God done all this to us? You will tell them, as you have forsaken me, and serve foreign gods in your own land. So now you will serve foreigners in a land not your own. Announce this to the descendants of Jacob and proclaim it to Judah. God is saying to them, you have hardened your heart, you have forsaken me, you have worshipped false idols, you have turned away from me, and because of that, 
I'm going to judge you. And, and listen to this pronouncement of judgment. He says this. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. Your wrongdoings have kept these away. Your sins have deprived you of good. What God is saying to the nation of Israel is basically, you've shut your eyes. I've, I've been showing you who I am. I've been telling you who I am. And, and you've closed your eyes. You said, I'm not going to listen. You've, you've closed your ears to my word. You, you stopped listening to what I was saying. You stopped doing my will. You stopped doing what I ask you to do. You've rejected me. And he says, you have stubborn and rebellious hearts. You've hardened your heart and you've rejected me. And so God is saying, look, I need to respond to this. In verse 29, he says, should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And it's a rhetorical question that basically means, yes. God is saying, I warned you what would happen if you rejected me. I warned you what would happen if you turned away from me. And now you have, and because you have, I'm going to judge you. In Ezekiel 12, God spoke to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see but do not see and ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. Again, the nation of Israel was rejecting Yahweh, rejecting his purposes, and they were closing their eyes to God. They were covering their ears to God, and they were not listening. And so now Jesus is going to compare the crowds to a rebellious Israel. And, and maybe you've seen something like this in, in your life. I know for me, I've had experiences where you're trying to confront someone with truth and they just won't hear it. They're, they're like, la, 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 la. You know, you ever had that with your kids when they're like three years old? You're trying to tell them, la, la, la. Um, but I, I remember one specific instance where uh, I was counseling someone and, and it, it became really clear what the what the issue was. And this was years ago, way before my time at North Park, so don't try and figure out who it is. It was someone from a long time ago. And I met with them, and we identified what the problem was, and they agreed with me. That's the problem. Yes, okay. All right, sweet. Here's here's what, let's work on this, and then come back next week, and uh, we'll we'll get to work on that. And they came back the next week. How did it go this week? Well, I didn't do anything. All right, well... And then we talked for a bit and said, let's set the, set the plan. Let's do this again. Next week they came back. How, how'd it go? I didn't do anything. It's like, okay. You asked for my help, my opinion, and I'm telling you this is the clear path and you're refusing to do anything. I, I'm not going to keep meeting with you and having the same conversation every week. And they knew what the truth was, but they kind of closed their ears to it, said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to ch- make changes. And so Jesus is going to go to the Israelites that he's talking to and say, you've done the exact same things. You, you have eyes to see. Look at the miracles I've been performing. I mean, it's crazy the things that Jesus had done. They had seen people who were sick uh, get healed. They had seen lame people who had never walked stand up and walk. They had seen all these miracles, and yet they closed their eyes to it. They had heard these amazing teachings, and they plugged their ears. And so Jesus says, in them... Back in Matthew 13. In them, the crowds, it's fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. I think of Pharaoh. We just got done in Exodus. And when you read this story ten times... 
we see Pharaoh harden his heart time and time and time again. And eventually, then God starts hardening Pharaoh's heart. And ten times the passage says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So much like the Israelites in the past, the crowds were demonstrating the exact same behavior as those who rejected God in Isaiah's day. They were disobedient. They, they had hard hearts. Their hearts were callous to the things of God. They closed their eyes to avoid hearing what he was preaching. They covered their ears to, to not listen to what he was saying. They rejected Jesus in the same way that the Israelites had rejected God in the past. And just like God's judgment on Israel, Jesus pronounced judgment on the crowds. He says, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus basically, they hardened their hearts, and now I'm hardening their hearts in judgment. Now, that's a hard truth, that God would do something like that. But it's because it's tempting for us to see parables as just good little stories that help us feel better about our life or good little stories that that teach us something. But Jesus said parables were actually designed to conceal truth, to prevent some from turning so that Jesus would heal him. Now, it's hard for us to grasp how God's sovereignty and, and human will all go together. You know, Jesus was the same one who said he came to seek and save the lost. He's the same one that invited all who are weary and broken to come and find rest in him. In 1 Timothy 2, it says God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. All of those things are true. And yet in 1 Corinthians 1, it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Here we learn that just like the nation of Israel, because of their calloused hearts, because of their rejection of God, Jesus would conceal truth. So parables are designed to conceal and reveal. For us as believers, they're wonderful treasures, but they were also a means of divine judgment. We see this tension as we read scriptures. We always wrestle through this tension. God's divine sovereignty and human responsibility and how they all go together and the important thing is we 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 don't we're not divinely sovereign and we're not omniscient so we don't know all those things and so we we teach what the bible says that god calls all to come and that only those who are called will come it's this wonderful difficult truth and no matter where you land on the theological spectrum of sovereignty and free will whether you're here today and you're like i'm a staunch five-point calvinist or i'm a full-fledged arminian no matter where you're at he says these parables were designed to conceal truth the beginning of the sermon i asked what is the purpose of parables why did jesus speak this way well parables conceal truth for those who would reject jesus and they reveal truth for those who, by God's grace, will accept Christ and surrender him, to him as Lord. To put it simply, Jesus spoke in parables because parables conceal and reveal. We see this principle in Matthew 13. To the Pharisees and others who had rejected the clear teaching of Jesus, the parables were an act of judgment to conceal truth. But to those who believed in Jesus, they were designed to reveal truth. Go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 1. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power 
of God. Jesus says to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous peace, righteous people. Sorry, I didn't sleep well last night because I didn't have Sandy Storm by me. And I was like, I just needed that rhythm that exists. I don't know what it was. She's going to watch us back. She's going to be so mad. Anyways, <laughs> uh, people was the word I was at. Long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Jesus is saying, look, Moses longed to see what you're seeing. Isaiah longed to see what you're seeing. Ezekiel longed to see what you're seeing. But because your eyes saw it and your heart was open, I'm giving you these blessings of the kingdom. Because your ears were open and you were listening, because you were willing to hear what I had to say, I am going to bless you. And Jesus says, because of that, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that were hidden in Christ are going to be revealed to you. Paul calls these secrets the mystery of the gospel. In Ephesians 1, he says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us what? The mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, this mystery that was once hidden has now been revealed to us. I love this quote from one of my commentaries. What was once hidden to the world and still remains hidden to the crowd and the Jewish religious leaders and to any who follow their faithful footsteps, God has now revealed to, listen to this, former tax collector and the worst of the worst, a few former fishermen, and anyone who is humble enough to heed the call of Christ and put on his gentle yoke. Parables conceal, but they also reveal. Anybody who has an open heart is willing to listen to Jesus, to see who he was, to examine his life, to examine his word, to ask God to open the, the eyes of understanding. He doesn't close their eyes and say, I'm not going to listen. He doesn't cover their ears and say, I'm not going to hear. But those who are open, God reveals this mystery. Now let's fast forward to verse 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And Jesus quotes Psalm 78 here, saying that basically by speaking in parables, he is fulfilling the prophecy that was prophesied about him and revealing truth to those that believed. Now, next week we're going to get into all the different parables and we're going to see this truth of concealing and revealing. We're going to see how, how Jesus reveals truth to those of us who are believers. We're going to see, learn things about the kingdom of God. But before we do that, Jesus says there's two purposes of parables, so I want to talk to two groups of people. Because he says there's two purposes, maybe there's some in the audience or some online listening right now or listening years from now, the way media works, that don't yet know who Jesus is. 
And you're here today and you say, well, it kind of seems like this message is, is kind of judgy. You know, Jesus says he's concealing truth from some things. And, and the reality is that, that it is, in a sense. Romans 1 said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. In other words, God is saying, I'm revealing who I am through the world. I revealed who I am through Jesus. I'm revealing through I am who I am through this word as you read it. But there are some that are going to suppress the truth. They're going to cover their eyes and say, I don't, I don't see God out there. I don't see him. There's some that are going to go, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to listen to his word. I'm not going to listen to the things that he said. And so if you're here today and, and that's you, I want to ask you two questions. One, how's that working out for you? See, I, I truly believe that God has created all of us with this innate desire to know and be known. And the, way, in the words of one 1980s Christian music group, everybody's a God-shaped hole. God designed us to be in a relationship with Him. And so when we find ourselves lacking, it's because there's something missing. God designed us for a relationship with Him. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. That the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Out there are all these things that will provide this temporary moment of satisfaction. But you find yourself wanting and lacking time and time again. No matter how many times you do that thing that you think will give you life. No matter how many promotions you get. No matter how far you go down this road. You find yourself going, I feel like something's been stolen. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest, an abundant life. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the first question is, how's that working out? Are you recognizing that there's something wrong, there's something missing? And secondly, have you ever thought about what happens after you die? Is there an afterlife? If there is, what's it like? Is there a heaven? What's required to go to heaven? How do you get there? What if I'm wrong? What if what I think is wrong? I want you to listen in for a second. Jesus said, I have a secret. There's this mystery. And it was a secret for thousands of years. And the prophets foretold about it. But the mystery was fulfilled when Jesus came. He came to fulfill that secret. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's this author who wrote about that mystery. Now, this author was someone who had closed his eyes to who Jesus was. He had, he had closed his ears to his teaching, and he went around killing and persecuting Christians. It was his mission to end Christianity. But then he encountered Jesus. And he was never the same. 
And he wrote about that mystery. We just read it a minute ago. But he he said this. If he was to narrow down the most important thing, if he was to list everything that was possible and say, this is the first importance. This is the thing I want people to know. If I'm going to narrow it down to one thing, it's this. He says, for I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. See, Paul encountered Jesus and his life was never the same. And he said, what everybody needs to know, the thing that's the most important is Jesus died and he rose again. And he offers us forgiveness from sins and offers us life. He said, this was the most important thing I ever did. See, I love... If you want to look it up sometime on YouTube later, uh, it's called The Gospel in Six Words. But it's, it's, so, it's been such a blessing in my life as I just think through these truths. First, God. God created us to be in a relationship with Him. That's, that's why we all have that God-shaped hole. That's why we're all longing and pursuing and trying to find something. But, oh, our, our sin separates from God. God is perfect and holy and is, we cannot earn our way to heaven. And so our sin separates from God, but us, sins, paying the price for our sins, Jesus Christ died and rose again. I missed S. Sins can't be paid for by good deeds. P, paying the price for sins, Christ died for us. It's this amazing truth that God offers eternal life. And E, everyone who trusts in Him will receive eternal life and L, life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. God doesn't just promise us a destination. He promises to be with us on the journey. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess through the mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And said, so I came, I died, I rose again to offer you life. And if you follow me and surrender to me as Lord... You will have eternal life. It's this beautiful picture. And it's this thing that we shouldn't put off. We shouldn't continue to cover our ears and and cover our eyes and, and reject Christ, but see that He offers life, eternal life, abundant life, forgiveness from sins. And for those of us that have already experienced that, I want to speak to you because you're that second group in here. Jesus said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now what this is saying is, look, everyone has a knowledge of God. Romans 1 said that. But if you reject Jesus, that knowledge is useless. But for those of us that are are believers, that knowledge multiplies. It it grows. Parables are meant to cause the reader to ponder and to grow in their walk. Now imagine being a Jewish person who goes to hear Jesus speak and you have an open heart and an open mind. And you hear the parable. And you walk away and you go, what, what did Jesus mean by that? Okay, the kingdom of heaven is like, okay, there's this sower and he sows seed and and then uh, you know, he sows it liberally, and it, it lands in all these different soils. And, and each of the soils, something different happens, but there's this one soil. And then that soil 
the, the seed grows and it flourishes and it, it grows to 30 times, 40 times, 60 times, 100 times more. And, and so you go home and as you're in your own field, you're, you're tilling the field and you're thinking about what Jesus is saying. And you're starting to say, okay, what is, is he the Messiah? Is he the coming one? And as you ponder that, God reveals more to those of us who are open. See, for those who believed in Jesus, the parables brought life. They should bring life to us. We have these treasures that we can spend our whole life pondering, thanking God for salvation, thanking Him for the gift of the Holy Spirit, worshiping Him in song and in life. As we ponder and study the Scriptures, we'll be given more. God continues to give us more understanding, more peace, more joy, more hope, more faith. And we can be thankful that we have ears to hear and eyes to see because once we were deaf, blind, and mute. And we couldn't see the truth. But God revealed it. And we accepted it and received His grace. In God's providential sovereignty, He gave us grace. He gave us hope. He gave us truth. He gave us His Word, even though we didn't deserve it. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... God didn't save us because we did enough good things. He didn't save us because we were good enough people in the midst of our mess, our rebellion against Him, our sin. God saved us. So we're now called to live a life of gratitude. And and one more thing, and we'll look at this next week, but our gratitude and worship should cause us to want to tell others. As God changes our hearts, we should want others to experience the same joy, the same peace, the same grace, the same love that we've experienced through our Savior. So that we can join in singing Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May we live lives of joyful gratitude and tell others what God has done for us. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, don't wait another day. Come see me after. Come see Pastor John after. Talk to a neighbor after. Stop closing your eyes. Stop plugging your ears. And listen to what God's saying today. If you're a follower of Christ... Be thankful for the truth He continues to reveal in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I once was blind and could not see. I once shut my ears to what You would say. And yet You graciously revealed who You are through Your Gospel. I'm so thankful for that. That moment changed my life forever and we are a group of people that gather together because we've all been changed you have changed our hearts and so we gather and we sing and we worship and maybe there's some here or maybe there's some online that don't yet have that relationship with you Lord, help them today to remove the hands from their eyes to remove the hands from their ears to listen to your word to listen to your truth, to experience your grace, and to believe in you. In your name we pray. Amen.